Hey there, let's talk about finding a job that's not just challenging, but also rewarding and fun. And if you're a software engineer looking to make an impact, then you'll want to hear about Bloomberg. They're building the world's most trusted information network for financial professionals, and they need engineers like you to join them. As someone who's been in the tech industry for a while, I know how hard it can be to find the right employer. But when I stumbled upon Bloomberg, I was blown away by their commitment to building a diverse workforce full of fresh perspectives. Any engineer looking for an appealing and beneficial career should consider Bloomberg. So why Bloomberg? Well, you'll be part of a team that builds tools to help the world's leading business and finance decision makers. You'll work with some of the brightest minds in the industry to develop solutions that are relied on by more than 350,000 financial professionals around the globe to make critical business decisions. And let's not forget that great engineers love a challenge. At Bloomberg, you'll solve complex real-world problems for customers across the globe capital markets, from real-time market data to sophisticated analytics, powerful trading tools, and more. Bloomberg engineers work with systems that operate at scale. Lastly, Bloomberg believes in using the right tools for the job. The majority of their software is built in C++, JavaScript, TypeScript, and Python. And Bloomberg engineers are active members of the open source community. So, if you are a software engineer looking for an exciting and fulfilling career, head over to bloomberg.com careers to learn more. That's bloomberg.com slash careers. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City, Belgium. Today, we speak about something that uh, uh, is not really on the big news uh, these days. Uh, everybody's speaking about ChatGPT and uh, about transformers and about natural language processing and how cool these models are, which is indeed the case. But uh, there is yet another type of model um, that uh, is kind of going uh, under the radar. Uh, and that's quite annoying because it's uh, uh, probably one of the most effective, if not uh, at the top five or three of the most effective models out there, uh, which is uh, based on graphs. Um, and so we are going to speak about graph neural networks. Uh, probably I'm going to split this episode in uh, in two because the amount of material uh, for this uh, topic is, of course, incredible. And uh, the literature is getting uh, more and more, uh, you know, richer and richer. And, uh, of course, it's uh, always a, a, a challenge to squeeze as much as I can, uh, you know, in a 20, 30 minutes episode. Uh, so... Um, there is, um, this is actually a, a topic that I would have liked to cover more than one year ago, uh, but I never found the time nor the uh, conditions, let's say, to speak about this topic. But um, I think it's something that uh, we'll hear um, more and more news in the near future because um, it has very interesting properties that uh, uh, definitely are of incredible usage and uh, uh, for uh, small and large uh, and large problems at hand. Uh, so what is the, the, the core, of course, of a graph neural network is, as the words say, uh, 
graphs. <laughs> and uh, uh, in fact, as, you know, as a matter of fact, graphs are uh, all around us, and uh, uh, they can be uh, real-world objects as well as uh, molecules or organizations, um, social networks, for example, uh, and um, they can be communication networks. Um, they are also um, very present in, in biology, for example, or bioinformatics. Uh, gene networks, uh, bacterial networks, um, uh, antibiotics, uh, but also physics simulations are uh, pretty much based on, on the concept of graphs. Um, logistics, uh, traffic, for example, the way you can look at the roads uh, of a particular geographic location resemble, in fact, is, in fact, a graph. Uh, or recommendation systems. Uh, it's also a graph in which you have nodes and edges, that is, uh, you know, actors and relationships among actors, uh, for example, people and products or people and other people. I want to mention the citation network, for example, in which you have uh, uh, a, the papers cited by uh, any researcher of that uh, network, which is kind of a subset of the social network as we know it today. So um, the graph is... Uh, I think I did a decent job explaining the, the, the fact that the graph, the concept of the graph is, in fact, everywhere. And uh, uh, if you try to reimagine a bit, you know, out of the box, uh, the, the things that we usually manipulate nowadays, for example, images and text, uh, even these things can be represented as graphs. So for those who are not really familiar with the concept of graph, um, it is very simple. A graph is a structure that is composed of verti vertices or uh, nodes. Uh, usually uh, they uh, have an identity and they have neighbors um, and, uh, of course, edges, which is the links between nodes. So it's the way a node is connected to another node or multiple nodes. Now, uh, it's clear that uh, each single node and each single edge uh, can have attributes. Uh, for example, an edge can have directions, uh, but also other attributes that, for example, represents the type of connection or relationship between any two nodes. Um, and then also the nodes have attributes. Uh, you can have a node ID as well as some properties, a color, uh, a name, or any other attribute that you that might describe the problem and uh, let's say augment the information of that particular graph. Now, of course, when you think about graphs and you think about a social network, you know that's probably one of the easiest exercises that you might be facing. But if you, as I said, think a bit out of the box. Even an image can be uh, represented by a graph. And uh, the way we look at images today is like a, a grid of, of pixels, right? Um, for example, an image of uh, 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 5 by 4, let's say 20 pixels, or let's make 25 pixels, a 5 by 5 uh, image, probably one of these emojis or icons uh, out there. Uh, well, they have... Uh, you know, each pixel is represented in a particular cell of the matrix, of the 25-cell matrix, or 5 by 5 matrix. But in fact, you can represent each pixel as a node connected to the neighborhood uh, or the neighboring pixels. And so each pixel, for example, in the center of the image would be connected to, uh, if you think, um, eight uh, neighbors, right? Um, 
each pixel has exactly eight neighbors when you know they are not at the border and when they are when they are at the border of course you know it depends where where, where it is if it's in the corner uh, a pixel would have like three neighbors uh, if it's uh, uh, you know not in the corner but just on the border um, it would have like um, five neighbors and then of course eight neighbors in all other cases right um, now, if you represent um, a pixel uh, with a graph, uh, you would Im immediately have some properties that come kind of for free uh, just because of that representation, just because of the fact that you have a graph now. You no longer have an image, uh, but you have nodes. And uh, uh, many of the properties that uh, uh, you know benefit the concept of graphs would also come uh, beneficial in this case, in the case of an image. How efficient it is representing an image as a graph is a different story, uh, probably less efficient than representing it as a grid, uh, but the, let's say, benefits that you would have uh, with this novel or different representation would be something to take into account. Uh, also, text can be represented as graph. If you think, uh, what is a phrase or a sentence? Is a, you know, a bunch of words connected to each other, uh, in which you have the word at the, let's say, first position, is connected to the next word, which is connected to the next word, and so on until the end of the sentence, right? So if you think, again, out of the box, not so much out of the box, it's just using logic here, uh, you would have, you know, a word, which is, or a token, which is a node in this hypothetical graph, uh, connected via an edge, probably a directed edge, uh, to the next uh, node or token or word or even to a punctuation token uh, in case you have punctuation uh, symbols. Um, again, uh, representing a phrase as a graph um, will become, will, will have some benefits that I will discuss uh, later in this episode or in the next one. Uh, how efficient, efficient it is, of course, to represent a word, uh, sorry, a, a, a phrase as a graph is, again, a, a different topic. It's probably less efficient that's why neural networks don't do that. Um, but if they did, they would have some properties that are the typical properties of, indeed, graph neural networks. Um, now, there are, of course, you know, these are probably the most illogical ways uh, to represent, uh, uh, to be represented by graphs, like, you know, a phrase uh, or a language as a graph or an image as a graph. Now, after 50 years of... Uh, uh, pixels uh, or more than 50 years as pixels we say okay we are going to change the representation of images uh, all at once uh, but there are other uh, phenomena that are uh, definitely much easier to be represented as graph it's kind of you know being the, the graph representation is kind of the most natural uh, way to represent these other uh, data for example molecules uh, if you speak to a biologist or a bioinformatician, graphs is probably the first-class citizen in their domain. Um, and so matrices are definitely uh, another important way to represent data, but a bioinformatician would definitely say, yeah, I, I prefer to look at this as a graph. Or a chemoinformatician would think about molecules as a graph is the most natural way to represent these objects, which are, you know, more complex objects, and also they are objects in which uh, having taking into account 
the way things are connected, not just to what things are connected, uh, is important. Uh, if you, you know, recall some uh, undergraduate course in chemistry, if you ever had that, uh, you know, there are different bonds uh, and different ways to, um, let's say, bond different molecules or atoms uh, with each other. And you can represent all this information much, much easily with uh, the concept of graphs. And finally, we have social networks. And this is probably the most common one. Uh, you know, if you look at the social network that we know of, uh, or many other social networks where we are, you know, where, that we use every day, all the other users are in fact represented as a graph. And other relationships that we have with many of the other users, be they their family, our girlfriend or boyfriend, or just friends, acquaintances, etc., they are all uh, represented as uh, you know, nodes connected by particular edges that represent the type of relationship indeed between uh, any two people, if we're talking about human uh, networks. Now, um, I mentioned already citation networks um, as graphs is another very common way of representing uh, uh, citations for, for researchers. Um, and there are many, many other examples. Now, the list goes on and uh, that's not really the uh, the topic of the day. Um, now, the idea of having this graph is not new. So the idea of representing natural phenomena as a graph is definitely not new. Uh, and in my opinion, it has been kind of, uh, not saying abandoned, but it, you know, researchers have preferred to represent things differently in a more efficient way. Uh, due to the, for example, backpropagation algorithms and uh, the trend in deep learning that kind of facilitate certain representations or prefer implicitly certain representations um, to the representation to the graph representation, and so I think it's more of a cultural phenomena that we had to deal with in the last few years, uh, for which many of the problems we deal today. Uh, have a different representation than the graph representation. And probably that's the reason why uh, graph neural networks are not yet a thing out there, uh, at least not as prominent um, as the other neural network structures that we, uh, we are familiar with. So what can we do with the uh, graphs? Well, um, there are many things that we can do. Once we define a graph, uh, there are several tasks that one can think of solving. Uh, and usually it depends where they want that particular task to be um, uh, solved. And of course, it depends at which level uh, they want to solve that particular problem. Uh, so once you have uh, graph structured data, you might be interested in, for example, predicting um, the particular structure or the presence of a substructure or a pattern in the input graph. So imagine you have uh, one of these molecules, um, you know, these enormous graphs that uh, chemoinformaticians are used to, to, to manipulate. Uh, and you want to, for example, predict if uh, there is some kind of uh, uh, substructure that, uh, uh, that appears uh, in that particular graph. Uh, without doing an exhaustive search, because maybe exhaustive search is uh, uh, prohibitive. Uh, so these are usually referred to as the graph level tasks. Okay, uh, and um, 
in, uh, for example, uh, still biology, um, one might want to predict some properties, for example, the toxicity of a molecule given the graph structure. Uh, and of course other uh, augmented information on the nodes and the edges and one wants to predict if that particular graph structure has uh, you know a particular property in the physical world like uh, mm, toxicity or it is toxic yes or no so that would be more a classification problem um, it could also be a regression problem which means uh, predicting the level of toxicity of that particular graph structure and so on uh, we also have node-level tasks that uh, one might want to solve. For example, imagine you have a graph in which uh, uh, you, know, you have an input graph with unlabeled nodes um, and uh, the output is a, a graph, the same graph in which you have predicted node labels, right? So depending on the particular you know, problem, for example, think, about a, think of a social network in which you would like to uh, predict the let's say girlfriend or boyfriend of uh, an individual by looking at uh, the their neighboring the, their neighbors right in the in the graph uh, structure um, and you would like to for example guess the label or predict the label uh, or the age of the node that is supposed to be the let's say partner of that particular person. So in that case, you are doing what is called a node level task. That is, given an input, you want to predict labels, or given an input, you want to predict some attribute uh, of the nodes uh, of any other node in the network, in the same network. And finally, we have edge level tasks. Um, and still in the same network, think about predicting the type of relationship between any two nodes uh, if given a node, given another bunch of, you know, let's say neighbors of a particular node, you want to predict by looking at the rest of the graph, you want to predict if there is, for example, uh, there would be an edge between node I and node J, uh, and where that edge, of course, represents, for example, the fact that they are friends, right? Or if someone is uh, uh, interested in uh, something, for example, for a product recommendation. And in that case, you are doing what is called edge-level task. That is predicting uh, the presence or the absence of an edge between any two nodes or a particular attribute of that edge, right? Uh, be it a class, be it a value, and depend if it's a, it depends, of course, if it's a classification or a regression problem. It doesn't matter. It's still an edge-level task. And now, let me tell you something important. Cybercriminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back, unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against this rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one, and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science.
So what is the first challenge of using uh, graphs in machine learning? Well, probably uh, one of the biggest challenges is the fact that uh, graphs are weird animals. <laughs> uh, and this means that when you start permuting the nodes of a graph, uh, everything changes, right? So, uh, in fact, there is a, 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 an exponential number of, uh, uh, for example, adjacency matrices, that is, you know, the way you represent a graph as a matrix, having a, a matrix n by n, where, where n is the number of nodes, and you would put like a 1 uh, wherever the two nodes are connected, right? Now, there is, if you permute uh, the, the nodes, you would obtain, uh, you know, an exponential number of uh, addition matrices. And so this means that, you know, that's a problem because, you know, when you uh, implement a machine learning model on uh, uh, any permutation or any addition matrix, matrix, you would like to find uh, the same relationships, uh, in fact, for all the other permutations because at the end of the day, it's exactly the same data. But if you draw, uh, hypothetically, these two addition matrices two or more, and there is an exponential number of addition matrices for n nodes. Um, you know, sometimes these matrices really look different. Um, and it depends on how you permute the node. If you order the nodes in any particular, if you sort the nodes in any particular order, uh, you would get a completely different matrix. And sometimes, you know, some matrices or some permutation, permuted matrices, uh, they can represent some concepts better than uh, other matrices. And you definitely do not want that because, as I said, the data underneath is exactly the same. So the biggest challenge of using graph, uh, graphs in uh, machine learning is to find a way to measure so-called invariance. Uh, and so to find or, or have a way that preserves so-called graph symmetries. Um, that is indeed uh, related to the concept of uh, permutation invariance, which is a way that uh, is not affected, a model, in fact, that is not affected uh, by uh, the way you order the nodes of the network. And uh, a graph neural network is, in fact, a, um, a transformation on all the attributes of the graphs. It can be nodes, edges, or even the entire graph uh, itself, uh, and they preserve graph symmetries. So it, it means that a graph neural network is, generally speaking, permutation invariant. And so that's where the first biggest challenge of using uh, graph neural networks, uh, sorry, graphs in, uh, in machine learning, you know, is kind of solved uh, with the concept of graph neural networks, because they can cope with the fact that even if you permute even if you sort the nodes differently, the graph neural network that you have would be exactly the same. So it's resistant to permutations. Okay. So that's already a big uh, step towards, uh, you know, adoption of a model that kind of solved, uh, by definition, uh, one of the biggest challenges of graphs whenever we want to use or consider graphs for machine learning problems. So how does a graph neural network look like? Well, what a graph neural network uh, does essentially is, um, you know, 
borrowing the concept of neural networks, which is this multi-layer uh, networks of, uh, of uh, neurons, um, and uh, essentially apply transformations to the two components of the network, which is uh, vertices and edges. And so you would have, uh, you know, starting from uh, the initial layer, which is the input graph, for example, you would uh, transform uh, the nodes of this input, input graph um, with a function, more on that later, uh, which we called function of the nodes. Um, and then you would take all the edges of the input graph and transform them with a function of the edges. And you would generate the nodes and the edges of the next layer, uh, which we call the n plus 1 layer. And then from there, we would move again in an hierarchical fashion, as we do for uh, neural networks in general, when we have multiple layers that take the input and have the, you have the, the, the first intermediate representation of first hidden layer, second hidden layer, third, and so on. Sometimes even hundreds of these layers are there. Uh, well, the same happens for uh, graph neural networks, uh, you know, borrowing the concept of, you know, the layer, the layering, uh, in fact, is borrowed by the concept of neural networks in general. And the graph is because we still maintain, we'll preserve the nodes and the edges, even the way they are connected, um, and we transform uh, something that is really pertinent to the node and the edges, which is the embedding. So what is embedding is um, a vector usually that represents the, the particular node or the particular edge uh, in a particular context. Uh, for example, a node has neighbors, uh, an edge has also neighbors or as nodes that are, uh, you know, at a uh, K step distance from other nodes um, and so on. So, you know, this is a structure in which, you know, the topology is in fact information uh, and now that information can be encoded in the form of embeddings as much as we did with uh, the embeddings for text for words for characters uh, or for entire images um, well these concepts are pretty much the same just applied to different structures that's it for today. In the next episode, I will discuss a bit more in detail and, and of course, it'll be more technical um, in order to um, understand, for example, how these embeddings can be used uh, in the framework of graph neural networks and also how can these, um, let's say, messages can be passed uh, between or across different parts of the graph uh, and why is that important. In the next episode, I will also cover uh, other types of graphs, for example, hypergraphs, uh, multigraphs, and also hierarchical graphs, um, which are much more complex topologies, uh, and that, of course, uh, are much more powerful when it comes to uh, prediction and generation. Uh, I will discuss also some of the uh, most important operations that one can perform in, within the, uh, the graph neural network framework, uh, for example, graph convolutions, uh, as well as walking on a graph, uh, which is another important operation. I will cover uh, the attention mechanisms that are also present in uh, graph neural networks. And last but not least, uh, I will discuss a bit about generative modeling, uh, which is also possible uh, within the framework of graph neural networks. So I hope you enjoy the show. 
and uh, speak with you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.